LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. Morning, Steve Allen here with you this Sunday morning. Coming up at six in conversation, we're joined by two fantastic guests. First we have Anglo-Welsh comedian, writer and actor and television presenter Griff Rhys-Jones. Also one of the most successful British swimmers and former Strictly Come Dancing star Mark Foster. That's at six. But first, my best bits from the week. But this week, we started off talking about clutter. Apparently, we're all hoarders. We are all hoarders. And they, I, mean, I, I do hoard more than most people. I say, I mean, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and he said, the hard and fast rule is, he said, if you haven't looked at something for six months, throw it away. Well, I've got loads of things I haven't looked at for six months. And so throw it, I can't bring myself to throw it away. I can't quite get round to it, because I think, I might go through it and think, oh, I actually quite like that. Because over the years, £400 worth, they say, of clutter. And the, and the, and the, the things that you hang on to, I mean, quite clearly, not in many of your cases, coffee machines. People won't get rid of a coffee machine. A food processor. Baking utensils. I mean, it's, I've lost track of the amount of stupid things I bought for the kitchen that I'll never use. Like I bought some little wicker baskets from a Chinese cook shop to steam vegetables. <laughs> Who eats steamed vegetables? Not me, thank you very much indeed. VHS cassette tapes. I've got hundreds. I've got... Uh, the reason I've got VHS cassette tapes is because I've got the complete ITC collection. Years and years ago, we used to do a video review programme on LBC. And the companies would send in lots. And I mean lots of things. So I've got 600 ITC video cassettes of all the old shows like Thunderbirds and uh, Mission Impossible and The Champions with the late Alexander Bastido and all these sort of things, I don't want to get rid of them. But they're not worth a penny piece. Somebody said, you can't even sell videos now. They're just not worth money. So I've got collections. I've got, you know, I've, so I'm, I'm not getting rid of it. I'm keeping it. I don't, when I die, somebody will throw it away, I should imagine. Board games. Has anybody played board games? I must have a clear out, actually, because I've probably got some sports equipment. Well, I definitely do not have any sports equipment. DVDs. Well, that is something I can lay claim to. I don't know. Thousands. Thousands. And books. Not as many books. Apparently, um, Peter Andre is in the Christmas OK magazine. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, that, that's what he does. That's what he does. He appears in these, in these magazines. And he appears in them because that's what his living is. He has, to, he has to go to them and sell stories about his dull life. It used to be um, Jordan. But I don't think anybody's really interested in Jordan anymore. She's kind of, the, you know, the bubble has burst. And I think it's, it's a case of, you know, there are other people. So they, they've sort of moved on a little bit. And I'm afraid Jordan is, is very much, you know, last year and year before that. There's nothing of any interest that she's, she's doing at the moment. She doesn't have a TV programme. And as I pointed out before, unless you have a TV programme to plug something, then there's no point. Who was it was doing an interview in the paper the other day? And I thought, that's interesting. And then at the very end, they've got a DVD out. And I'm like, oh, God, it's just rubbish, isn't it? It really is, I'm afraid. It's just, it's absolutely... Naff, I'm afraid. Carol Cleveland. Have you heard of Carol Cleveland? I hadn't. And I began to wonder why I hadn't, because she was the seventh member of the Monty Python team. I didn't even know that. And she's revealed how hard it's been to escape the glamour stooge role and why she thinks Michael Palin is such a poppet. Yes, we like Michael Palin as well. I like him. I always remember 
that great, great line. He goes round the world. Michael Palin goes round the world. He comes back and he's filming at Oxford Circus. And there's the newspaper seller. A right grumpy old fat bloke. A right grubby old fat bloke. And Michael's being filmed saying, here's the, the thing. And the, the newspaper said, don't film me, mate. Don't film me. And Michael Palin goes, they're not filming you. They're filming me. Oh, it was, it was, it was just, he'd had such a nice time going round the world, meeting lots of nice people. You'd come back here and some miserable, fat old Brit, I'm afraid. Uh, celebrity Big Brother fans uh, turning to comedian Jim Davidson as their favourite to win the show. Um, he's the third favourite behind uh, Ollie Locke and Sam Fahirs. They haven't done anything at all. Astronomer Sir Patrick Moore left the majority of his estate to four men he regarded as sons even though he was not related to them, and he never married and never had any children. But he had these uh, these four men. Um, he became a father figure to them. Uh, I interviewed Patrick Moore. To be honest with you, I always thought he was gay. I remember, he was, how old was he? He was 89. He only left £420,000. Now, people think, oh, that's what he had sitting... No, that's the price of his home and the, the savings that he had. So his total estate was 420000 which was presumably the price of his little cottage. That and probably about 50 grand in the bank. And so he's left it. Surprisingly, Queen guitarist Brian May was an executor of his estate. He also wanted to make sure that his cats uh, were looked after. And he additionally left £500 for a farewell party at his cottage. He's 89. 89 when he died. And he used to play the xylophone. I never, ever saw a complete star at, at was it the Sky at Night programme. But I think it's the longest running TV programme, which makes it quite funny for something that hardly anybody ever watched. But it's apparently supposed to make you interested in the heavenly celestial bodies. So where are they now? The Happy Days crew. Here they all were. It was Tom Bosley and the family. Henry Winkler, who played Arthur Fonzarelli, as you know, is doing pantomime. And uh, there's also the Happy Days musical, which I think they're bringing. It started its run in Bromley. Uh, He's been twice married... He has two children, and he is now 68. 68. Ron Howard, who played Richie Cunningham, he was the one who went on to be uh, very, very successful. Um, He had Splash, Backdraft, Apollo 13, The Da Vinci Code, Beautiful Mind. He also did, um, what was the other one, Cocoon, and the follow-up as well. All Ron Howard's films. Uh, He's 59. He lives in South Carolina. He married his childhood sweetheart, Cheryl Alley. So he's obviously a very stable person. Tom Bosley was Howard Cunningham. He died at the age of 83. His final film was The Backup. He was nice. He was a nice man. There was something about Tom Bosley. He did a a musical on Broadway, I think, just before he died. Marion Cunningham, his wife, played by Marion Ross, is still alive. She's still alive. She says, I've never regretted being Mrs C. She's 85 uh, she's a widow and mother of two. She lives in California. Uh, Joni Cunningham has spent a lot of years trying to get back into the business. It didn't quite work out for her. Anson Williams was uh, uh, Warren Potsy Webber. He was kind of the good-looking one. You know, everybody really liked him. He's been twice married. He's 64 now, and he's got six children. <laughs> no surprises at all. Uh, for, for Ralph, Ralph Mouth... He's appeared in Love Boat, Star Trek, Baywatch, Glee. He's 62, and uh, he lives with his wife and two children. He says Happy Days was an incredible opportunity. And I have to agree, we all grew up on, on Happy Days. And those programmes that came out of America with Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, is well worth doing a revisit because you knew they hated each other. 
They never liked each other. Uh, there was also Nano Nano with Robin Williams, who played uh, Mork in Mork and Mindy. Uh, not forgetting Chachi, played by Scott Bayo. He's 53. He, show, he said there was a setback uh, with the Happy Days spin-off, which only lasted 17 episodes. And believe it or not, Al, who played Al DiVicio, he was the, he was the, the cafe owner in Happy Days. And he was the uh, the drive-in owner. He opened a chain of diners called Big Owls with Anson Williams. He lives in California with his second wife. He was he was wealthy from property deals, and then he had one of those faces. Great, he's ninety four. He's ninety four. So in fact, really, the only one who isn't with us anymore is is Tom Bosley. Everybody else is still around. The Happy Days team is still around, and the Happy Days musical will be hitting the road uh, at a. At a theatre near you, and I'm sure that you will absolutely love every minute of it. As long as it's as long as it's got the right cast of characters, we'll all we'll all go for it in a big way. I think. Twelve Years a Slave has picked up one of the most coveted Golden Globes of the night. Uh, took home Best Movie Drama in Beverly Hills. It'll now be widely tipped for Oscar success. Saw off competition for from Gravity, Philomena, and Rush, uh, and Captain Phillips. The win provided a a well-needed boost for Britain after a number of leading actors and actresses missed out. Uh, Idris Elba and uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor, is it? Ejiofor. have been tipped for the uh, success going head-to-head. Elba, who rose to fame in The Wire, nominated for Best Actor as Nelson Mandela in Mandela, Long Walk to Freedom, and also Best Actor in a miniseries or TV movie category for his role as the troubled detective in the BBC's Luther. Uh, interesting. I can't wait to see... Twelve Years a Slave. I cannot wait to see it. Jacqueline Bissett. I didn't even, you know, I didn't even know she was British. I didn't even know she was British, but she was Britain's only female to triumph, winning Best Supporting Actress in Dancing on the Edge. Interesting. Uh, Christian Bale left empty-handed. Leonardo DiCaprio took home the Golden Globe for the Best Actor in The Wolf of Wall Street. Nothing, of course, for... Oh, I must tell you something. It was something I learned the other day from the television. Um... Uh, they didn't nominate the Liberace film because it was a television movie made for television, I'm afraid, by, I think, HBO. Helena Bonham Carter missed out after a nomination for Best Actress in a miniseries for Burton and Taylor. And uh, Jeff Pope and Steve Coogan watched as their hit film Philomena lost out to futuristic romance Her, written by Spike Jones in the Best Screenplay category. Oh. What a nuisance. And Downton Abbey failed to win Best TV Drama. It came up against the gritty Breaking Bad. More nominations and uh, more winners as we go through the programme. So anyway, so Torval and Dean are on the television and they're being interviewed. And they were talking about Bolero. I know it seems a bit tedious. It was years and years ago now. But anyway, apparently they got the music down to 4 minutes 20. 4 minutes 20. But of course, it's not eligible at 4 minutes 20. It has to be... Four minutes ten. And so I think it was 20-something it came in as. And the, the, the time starts when their skates hit the ice. And so that's why at the beginning they're kneeling on the ice and they do the wasted seconds of doing this... Da, 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 and they're moving their heads backwards and forwards until it hits the right moment and then they can stand up on the... And that's when the four minutes ten starts. I never knew that. I just thought it was part of the dance routine, but it wasn't. They, they couldn't edit the music down any further. Did you see that? I thought that was so interesting. One of those useless facts that all these years you watched it thinking, must have been freezing cold on the ice, why are they down there? It's because if they'd started dancing earlier, they'd have been disqualified because they, their music was too long. 
So they didn't actually touch the ice until they'd had 16 seconds of head weaving backwards and forwards. Very, very clever. Very, very clever. And now you know how they won the medal. We'll have a quick break here, but in a few minutes I'll be discussing the unfortunate demise of Hayley Cropper. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. Earlier this week, we were talking about what we do after a night out. What amazes me is that we're obsessed with cheap food in London. When you've had a few drinks, you've had a skimful, you go out, what do you want to eat? You want to eat a kebab. If you, if you don't want to eat a kebab, you want to eat, it's the grease that you want. So you either want a kebab or you want chips or you want um, Kentucky Fried Chicken or a burger. You want anything, really. You want anything that, that kind of satisfies that need. And the more greasy it is, the better you feel as it settles in your stomach. I personally have always said to people, buy a kebab... Don't eat it, leave it in the box, open it the next morning, and then decide whether you want to eat it. And I promise you, the the uh, the pita bread will have soaked up the fat. It will be white fat sitting on the top of it. You can scrape off with a knife. It's just disgusting. But at the time you're eating, you go, oh, quite nice, isn't it? It's like we, we have a leaving do coming up this uh, this week for somebody who's leaving to go to a television station up in Scotland. And the place that we're going to, we, we've had a couple of leaving do's there before. And the one thing they do is bowls of chips, because if you're drinking, you need to soak up the alcohol. Well, that's the theory behind it. So the last time I was there, I must have ordered 20 bowls of chips. Because every time, because we had a private roped off area, and I kept saying to the waiter, oh, just bring us 10 more bowls of chips. Because it was so much easier, and people like nibbling. It's like peanuts. I don't want to touch peanuts, because everybody else's hands been in there. And some people go to the toilet, and surprisingly, they don't wash their hands. I mean, I, it's hard to believe, isn't it, now? I've seen some people, they're quite funny. When they come out of the toilet, they try and open the door without actually touching it. You know, and not touching taps because of... Well, I'll tell you, that takes it to a paranoid kind of level when you don't go in there. I mean, admittedly, if you do go to the toilet, you're supposed to just rinse your hands. But so many people don't. They just walk straight out again. I've seen people in kitchens doing that. They'll, they'll, they'll do something and then they don't wash their hands afterwards. And I do get a bit funny watching people make sandwiches in places without wearing the plastic gloves. I like people to wear plastic gloves because they might have picked their nose or something like that and then made my sandwich. Not, not the bacon, lettuce, tomato this morning. You're all right with that one. That's come from a good place. Some of these other sandwiches you buy in garages, I mean, the, you know, the hygiene conditions, I think, you know, not, not so great. Not so great. Uh, Gavin and Stacey star Ruth Jones has said that the hit TV show could be turned into a film. Oh, that was probably... You know they're doing Happy Days, don't you? The musical. Happy Days, the, the show, which we featured on the programme yesterday. I think, that's, I think that's quite a good idea. I like the idea of a feel-good show. And a drunk mum who left her son at home alone, was spared jail after her brief said that she wasn't as bad as the McCanns. Hayley Cropper's Coronation Street suicide, because that's what she's going to do. She's going to take her own life, apparently. Um, the scene is going to be aired before the watershed. She will kill herself with a, a drug cocktail. But the Samaritans fear it could affect vulnerable viewers. Because the problem is, they're dealing with a woman here who's dealing with cancer. Now, if you've lived through it, and I've lived through it with a few people, um, they're certainly not like this. And she's so, so, so close to death, apparently. You know, we, we'd have gone into, uh, into sort of like a suspended animation before you, before you hit this, this kind of thing. She's going to take um, her own life. And they worry that people will, will copycat it. And you think to yourself, do you think people really are that stupid? 
people are that naive? Or is cancer that bad? We were talking about this upstairs because we know nothing about cancer. We, we pump loads of money into research. We pump loads of money into trying to understand cancer. And presumably, we've all got it. Every single one of us must have something in our bodies because it's not airborne. And there must be something that triggers it, whether it's stress or a moment of of deep depression, whatever it happens to be. There must be something that triggers cancer off. But as much as they pump money in, they still have no idea where it comes from. They just know that if you've got it, it can remain in your body, apparently, for years and years and years and years. And then something will happen and then it starts spreading. Now, whether or not it's learning to fight drugs... So if, if you take, a, I mean, I, I take a, a cocktail of drugs every morning. Now, if I had cancer, would it learn to fight the drugs which are then put into my body to try and beat the cancer? I don't know. I'm assuming that's what it is. I know that when my mum died, she had secondary cancer, which means that they cleared it the first time. But there's always a little tiny bit which hides and it learns and it learns fast how to uh, how to reproduce itself. And that's why they can say to somebody, and I've spoken to people quite recently, who've had uh, friends and family, and they've said they were diagnosed in the July, come the August, they'd, they'd passed on. And you think, it can be quite fast. It can be very fast. So when we see it on the television, and I don't see why we have to see it on the television. I mean, I'm, you know, it must be very depressing for families who are dealing with somebody who has cancer at the moment to see Hayley and uh, her husband going through this. And so it's... But they, they, they look at it as a ratings winner. They don't see it as anything. They just see it as a ratings winner. They go, this is, this is what's going to happen. And, and as with all these things, there is the risk of copycat suicides. Which is slightly disturbing, isn't it? Slightly that people are so affected by soaps, I'm afraid. Waste of money, says Lynn in Bushy, about these uh, portraits of the MPs. I agree, actually. Should have sent a photo of each of the MPs to China. And then they send you back. I've sent stuff to China before. You send a picture over there and back comes an oil painting. Beautifully done. The Philippines do it as well. Really, really good. Really, really good. Uh, Phil says, a portrait of Burko, John or Sally? I don't think she featured at all. Is she still, is she still around? No idea. Um, your mate O'Dreary is covering this morning. Yes, there was, did you read the piece in the paper the other day that said that Dermot O'Dreary's covering, and if he's any good, he could be the permanent replacement. He's been around for donkey's years. He's not going to be any good at it. He's sitting next to Holly Willabooby. She's, she's OK because she's learned how to play it. But they're running out of men to try, aren't they? They're finding it very difficult to find that perfect combat. I remember being in Stringfellows years and years ago. And there was a guy who worked behind the bar and he was... Well, I was in Stringfellows. I had a celebrity card for Stringfellows. We had a reporter here who went down there and got very friendly with Coral Stringfellow, Peter's, Peter's wife, at the time. And the next thing, we all got celebrity cards. So we used Stringfellows as like a, another bar. We would go in there and I would sit with all the page three girls. Kind of a waste, but we did. And uh, I'd have breakfast there. And it was fantastic. So I knew all the staff in there. I knew the managers in there, everything. In fact, a friend of mine, uh, Andrew, did in fact end up being a manager in Stringfellow. So we would go there all the time. Before it became lap dancing, this is when it was a nightclub, and you would sit upstairs, then they'd open the downstairs later on. If you wanted to sit at a table, you had to drink bottles of spirits. So I would sit there... Uh, do you know, somewhere I've still kept my card. I don't think it works the same now because it's now City of Angels and it's a bit of whee, showing the old boobies off. And um, I forgot where I got you. Oh, yes, yeah, so, so we would go in there. So I'd be sitting at a table with Samantha Fox, Suzanne Mitzi, Maria Whittaker, all of, all of the girls, all of the girls who were sort of part of London nightlife. And then we would have breakfast. We'd sit down, we'd have breakfast. And sometimes Peter would join us, sometimes he would. It was, it was really fun times. 
I mean, I promise you it was fun. And we'd wander over because Peter bought the Hippodrome. So we'd wander. We'd go from Stringfellows to the Hippodrome, watch the light show. I always used to take people into the Hippodrome to watch the light show. And in fact, the Hippodrome now is a super casino. And, and it's really lovely. I mean, I, I advise everybody to go and have a look at it. I absolutely want people to go and have a look inside it because it's the only... You don't have to pay... I think you've got to be the right age. I don't think you can be a little bit, a little bit too young in there because it's a casino. But it's it's been done up beautifully, and it's and it's it's really really nice. So I always advise people to to go and see that. So uh, anyway, going back, Dermot O'Dreary is covering this morning, and I think you know they, they say this is the sort of make or break thing. I watched a bit of Loose Women the other day. Can anyone explain Colleen Nolan? Does she contribute anything to any program? No. I don't think so. Uh, Corrie should be light-hearted. Well, I don't think it should be light-hearted, but I don't... You know, when they say it should reflect life, it quite clearly doesn't, if they're only just putting their first Muslim family in there. You know, that doesn't reflect life at all. There's been Muslims in Manchester for the last God knows how many years. Ridiculous. Uh, they're trying to blame cancer on obesity now. Yes, yeah, so, well, they're, they're trying to blame it on all sorts of things. And we are, because of all the fast food, we are getting more unhealthy. As a nation, we become more unhealthy because it's this diet of food. It's the diet of people behaving badly. Every time you turn on the television, they're doing, you know, a day in Marbella. They had that, what's that programme called, where the kids go on holiday and mum and dad hide and then film them and then they sort of watch their children... Some see and suspicious parents. They had one on the other day, and it was a mother who mollycoddled her son, who looked about 25. He was a bit of a fat blob. And uh, he was with a couple of his mates on holiday, and she was horrified. He was quite clearly mummy's little soldier. She didn't know that he drank that much, and she certainly didn't know that he smoked. And so, of course, that was, you know, mummy was very upset about that. And I thought, oh, God, she was vile. She was absolutely awful. And then there was another couple, and both, strange enough, neither of the women were married, but they had partners. For that reason, they obviously couldn't hang on to their old men. But on one of them, it was a gay son. So they send the gay son over with his very camp friend and a girl. And again, you know, she was sort of... He didn't, he didn't like the idea that she was spying on him. He was, and so he locked himself in the bathroom. And I just sort of found the, the programme a little bit, a little bit disconcerting because I'm just watching people just getting drunk and behaving badly. And I, I thought, why does that make a programme nowadays? And the answer is it just does. So then they find the celebrity version and they call it Big Brother. And you watch a lot of third-rate old has-beens, you know, behaving very, very badly. And that, apparently, is entertainment in this country. Uh, Malcolm says, nothing was said about the assisted suicide in Emmerdale with the lad in the wheelchair. Oh, my God, it was. That made every single paper. They went ballistic over that. They did. It was, you know, because any time where they think it reflects modern life, they, they make a big issue. And so there is nothing around at the moment. I mean, there is nothing around at the moment. So that's why Hayley... This is, this is a soap opera. They're not real people. She's not really dying. It's only pretend. She's learnt some words, and she's reading them. And uh, Roy... I don't know how Roy's going to cope. I really have... I mean, I, I look at Roy... It's, it's only a pretend programme, though. They don't really have a cafe. They're in, there really isn't a place called Coronation Street. And, uh, and so the Samaritans are warned about it, because people do, don't they? People do. Uh, here's... Uh, who's that? So it's Cristiano Ronaldo... Who's, uh, is that his son? Cristiano Junior, because they're nothing if not adventurous. And uh, apparently he's, he's called this, this woman his wife. Uh, her name is, um, I don't know what her name is actually. Messi. Oh no, his girlfriend is Antonelli. No, that's somebody else's girlfriend, isn't it? I don't know what this one's called actually. No, Irina. 
Is she Russian, do you think? Loads of them over there, isn't there? You can just pick them up. I was really... They had one of these um, Ibiza programmes and it had Russian uh, pole dancers. I thought, do they do it differently from some... You, you're excited now, aren't you? Have you been to pole dancing club? Have you been to lap dancing club? Have you... Re- why am I not surprised? Why am I not surprised? We used to have one near me in, in Twickenham. Closed down due to lack of interest. The good people of Twickenham weren't remotely interested in some old brass hauling their weary carcasses up and down a pole. It's very expensive, though, I'm told. You know, if you have a pole dancer, do you spend a lot of money? Do you spend, you know, like, if I give you a ballpark, would, would you have spent, say, 30 quid? Well, all night? 30 quid? You're a bit cheap, aren't you? Where did you go? It's only there an hour, oh, bless. But does it serve a purpose? I mean, the only reason I ask, I don't quite understand why you want to go in there. Would it not be easier, you know, to just sort of book somebody for coming round for a massage or something, as opposed to sitting there watching people in half-light draping themselves around a pole? I don't, I don't quite get what the, what the appeal is, because surely everybody else is sort of watching at the same time. Oh, right, oh, it's time-wasting. Oh, right. And then, and then you sort of come out and just carry on with your life, do you? Oh, right, oh. Seems a bit expensive, doesn't it? Thirty pounds then. On second thoughts, I'm taking that back. I think that sounds quite a lot of money. But I suppose, but they do make money. There used to be a girl who was on, um, um, was it Big Brother? And she was a pole dancer, and she reckoned she made about a thousand pound a night. I thought, not dancing around a pole, you don't, darling. I think there's extras, aren't there? I think a lot of the that I think it actually. I think there are certain clubs where they have girls dancing around poles, and you can get extras. Or something. I don't know what the extra. Perhaps you get tea and biscuits or something, or some toast with peanut butter. Well, that's what I'd be asking for. Don't forget, in half an hour, you'll hear from Griff Rees Jones and Mark Foster as they join me for In Conversation. But now, the latest news at 5 30. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. Morning. You're listening to the best of Steve Allen this Sunday morning. Coming up in half an hour, I'm in conversation with Griff Rees Jones and Mark Foster. But for now, my best bits are this week. We've been discussing the history of London. Oh, Two Temple Place. Then we talked about Two Temple Place. You need to go and have a look. Well, apparently, uh, they've got an exhibition. And there is a, a website for it. I won't read it out because it's too complicated. So if you go onto the internet, uh, on Google, type in Two Temple Place, and they've got a new exhibition down there. You must go, because it's only along the embankment, and you can, you can walk it from Charing Cross. Pat says, uh, I heard you talk about a book on London earlier, but missed the uh, author. Are there other London books you can suggest? No, just type in London on Amazon, see what you get. Makes it so much easier than sitting down running through the three million books that have been written about London. You know, don't really have the time on the programme. Uh, I can't... Uh, oh, Lynn saw the eviction of Lee Ryan's playmate in the Big Brother house. The man's a complete buffoon. It's such a shame because he's wasting a golden opportunity. He's wasting a great opportunity to show people that he's not the prat that we all think he is. But unfortunately, he's failed miserably. So he's going to come out the house. Is it going to do anything for his career? Not not a jot. Nothing at all. They'll probably stick him on this morning, but let's face it, they stuck Dermot O'Dreary on the other day. God, he's awful. You suddenly realise just how bad he is when he sits there. Apart, he, he just cannot present. He can't sit still, which is very infuriating, and he's just dull. Makes you realise, we you know, there is an art to doing presenting. And, you know, Philip Schofield must sit there at home watching him going, well, I think my job's safe for another few years. Because he's so good at it. He just sits there and does it. Whereas Dermot O'Dreary is sort of, I don't know what his image is or what he thinks he's coming over as. A buffoon, I'm afraid. Based on yesterday's appearance, it was really boring. Holly, of course, comes over totally professionally. And then you've got that idiot sitting next to her in the suit that didn't fit again. 
Don't know why. It's all very worrying, isn't it? It can only get better, I suppose. <laughs> well, we hope. Uh, Michael McIntyre is going to get his own chat Oh, God, how dull. Uh, it's a 45-minute primetime slot. It would allow the funny man to bring his unique brand of comedy to a chat show. But his sort of brand of comedy means running around the stage and, and telling jokes and being funny. He doesn't need a chat show. He doesn't need to... How much are you getting paid for it? How much each episode of the chat show? Come on. What do you think? What do you think? £3,000? £4,000. £10,000. This is this is the, the real strapped BBC. You know, they've got no money. for ter- they, they couldn't bring back birds before they haven't got any money. Uh, they couldn't bring back anything else that was decent. So it's the same old tat that they're throwing out. So we have to suffer with the voice and Kylie Minogue and Tom Jones and William. And so how much are they giving Michael McIntyre for each one of his chat shows? How much? 15,000, thinks the producer. <sighs> 15,000 would be good money, wouldn't it? What do you think? And he's doing, I think, six or seven of them. That'd be good. No, no, a bit more than 15. A bit more. A little bit more than 15. 30,000 30, would be lovely, wouldn't it? You know, that'd be... That'd be 30,000 pounds. You tell you do one, one a day, you know, for, for a week, and you've made all your money in a week. No, no, 30,000 would be... That would be lovely. 83,000 they're paying him. 83,000 pounds a programme. What a complete... Waste of money. (laughs) £83,000. The cash-strapped BBC. Oh, God, I tell you, there's more going on behind them walls than you could ever imagine. And yet they haven't got any money for birds of a feather. They can't bring anything else back. They're doing a one-off of only fools and horses. They're so backward, aren't they? Another blooming chat show. How many more chat shows do we need? We've We've got Graham Norton. How many more do you need on the channel? And he's only doing six, so it's not like it's even a series. Don't make any difference because they've already commissioned six. So the BBC, being a bit sort of stuck up their own rear end, will just sort of happily plough on with it like they're ploughing on with The Voice. Biggest waste of money you've ever seen on the television. That's a programme that paid Holly Willoughby a quarter of a million a year for doing like a minute on each programme. Literally. That's what they were paying it for. And so for Michael McIntyre, and I love Michael McIntyre, £83,000 for yet another chat show. Yet another person talking about, you know, celebrities. In other words, it'll be the same people who've done the rounds with everybody. They'll have been on this morning. They'll have done Piers Drogan. They'll have done, you know, Chatty Man. They'll have done Jonathan Ross. They'll have, they'll have done everything. Absolutely everything. And then eventually they'll get to Michael McIntyre. So there'll be nobody new on it. Because all the people have been done before on these shows. He will interview three celebrity guests each week for an initial six-week run this spring. And, uh, as I say, they have said that it would allow the funny man to bring his unique brand of comedy to a chat show. As if he didn't have enough money. £83,000 a programme. You feel physically ill, don't you? Well, there's so many other things that they could do. Oh, and here we go. How to be a Big Brother housemate. The tips are from Desperado, little Judy James. Little Judy James, the behaviour expert. The one who looks like she was the reject from the Housewives of Orange County because she's too old. And she goes, I'm a behaviour expert. And we go, you're a bit of a shark circling daytime television, hoping to nip in there and push your fizzog on to us, I'm afraid. And uh, I've won a board. But uh, she's going to tell you how to be famous. Something she's been trying for ages and has failed miserably. We found the filthiest man on the planet. He's not washed for 60 years. Oh, my God. <laughs> Eamon Hodge spends his day eating... But he isn't in this country. He comes from uh, southern Iran. He spends his day eating rotting porcupines, smoking animal poo and drinking stagnant water from rusty oil barrels. Well, it's obviously doing him well, because for 60 years he's... Um, he actually... He sleeps in a grave, once ran away, when a group of boys tried to drag him into a shower. 
So he is the world's filthiest man. Because he hasn't washed for 60 years. Oh, God. Oh, here we go. A picture of poor old Susan Boyle. Honestly, how to look like the last turkey in the shop. They've got to play the bagpipes. Because apparently, Susan Boyle is chieftain of the British Pipe Band Championships. Oh, God, honestly. I mean, who turned it down? Winnie the Pooh and Sooty. So they've ended up with Susan Boyle, who they've covered in makeup and they've tried to do her hair and they said, oh, wear this tartan outfit, dear. It just is a bit lame, I'm afraid. Who's that a picture of? It's a picture of um, Cheryl Cole again. Still no job, dear, is it? It's looking a bit worrying. Have you thought of the job centre? You know, maybe sort of trying to find out if you could actually, you know, get something because there's too many of you people just hanging around doing nothing at all. But it's nice to know you're on holiday and uh, why, eh? It's because you're worth it. Lovely picture of Amy Willerton. Yes, Amy Willerton and her photographer, who took a picture of her in uh, Los Angeles, because Amy's going to be a big star now. No, she's not. And so she's going along to an agency. She's currently there for meetings with Hollywood talent agency Octagon Entertainment. You'd have thought, actually, she could have saved the airfare and Skyped over. You know, this is me, this is me on the table. They don't need to meet you, love. We can see you can't act. It seems the British... Oh, she's Bristolian. She's, Brist- oh, she's from Bristol, is she? God, I'm embarrassing for Bristol. And uh, she's uh, desperate to make it as a big-time actress in America. Oh, pop it, no chance. I'll tell you that, no chance, OK? Not a cat in hell's chance. It won't happen, OK? I'll put money on it. But uh, at least she could put her showman showmance with Joey Essex on her acting CV. The Towie Plonker admitted this week their love was about as real as Rylan Clark's teeth. Is he still working? I had no idea he was still going, I'm afraid. But, uh, so, Amy, it's not going to happen, love. It's very sweet, and I'm, I'm sure that you really believe in your heart of hearts that you are some celebrity, but I'm here to tell you, you're not. Although I did turn on the other day, what did I watch? Jeremy Clarkson. I like Jeremy Clarkson. It is sort of, in a strange sort of, you know, sort of butch man who's passed his sell-by. You know, I sort of watched him. But who did he have on? Uh, his, he has a little car programme, and they invite people, celebrities to come on there. And I think... I might have got this wrong. Definitely one of them was Tom Cruise, which is kind of like a big name to get, Tom Cruise. And the other one, I think, I might be wrong, was it Cameron Diaz? She looked really odd. She had work done or something. She looked like she had cosmetic surgery that had gone horribly wrong. She looked really peculiar. Really peculiar. Whereas Tom Cruise just looked, just looked like Tom Cruise. He looked really great and sort of entered into the... Into the I suppose because if you're a movie star... You don't really get the opportunity to let your hair down and get out there and put your foot down and, and do these sort of programmes. They don't do these sort of things in America. Only the Brits do these rubbish programmes where they stick a load of people in an aircraft hangar, bring in some lame celebrity and then get them to go driving. And, of course, how lucky that Tom did the top speed. My friend Peter's not very well at the moment. He looks after my car. So we've got to try and get the car. Poor soul, honestly. He's, he's really not very well at the moment. So we're, we're uh, keeping our fingers crossed for him. And then... And I, it was only pointed out to me by Ben the other day, who uh, also cleans the cars down where I take my car to. And um, and he said, oh, you've got a scratch on the bumper. And on my front bumper, there is, and I remember where I did it. I remember exactly where I did it. It was done in the car park at Waitrose on the second level because they don't cater for big, long cars like mine. They cater for little midget cars, driven by little people like that. And so as I went round one of the corners very slowly because my beep beeps were going beep, 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 beep. And I remember thinking, did I hit something? And he pointed it out the other day. He said, I'd have to go in to be, to be sprayed, as they say. I'm sure we'll, sure we'll get round to it. Uh, good luck with the night shift finishing. I do like it. Actually, I'm, I'm every day now. I get on the train at Waterloo and sit in the first class compartment. It's fantastic. So generally, by the time we get to Twicker, there's nobody on there. Just me and me and Graham sitting there, and we always have a table. 
I'm hoping there's going to be trolley service one day. I'm going to get on the train and there might be trolley service. The cafe at Twickenham Station closed upstairs. There just obviously wasn't enough business around for people to make money. It's very difficult nowadays for people to make, make money. So the woman who owns it is going into property. Seems fair enough, doesn't it, really? Uh, and uh, where did Neil go? Centre parks. You've seen the adverts on the table. There's a lot of cycling and it's, uh, it, it's a lot of exercise, but there's very poor internet. He said, so it was golf, cycling, badminton, table tennis, swimming, pool, 10-pin bowling, a week of the old indoor league, and Team Neil won the family quiz. All very enjoyable, but it's back to work now. Uh, Gifts to the royal family. Apparently people do give gifts to the royal family, and so everything that you give them is logged. Every single thing that is handed in is logged, which I always think is quite interesting. So if you send them anything, you know, they go, oh, thank you so much indeed for your lovely gift, the Queen loves toffee. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs> I doubt they'd log the gin, though. Let's take a, a quick break. When we're back, we'll find out why I was charged £7.20 for a journey, despite not travelling anywhere. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. Welcome back. Earlier this week, we were talking about the cheapest car bill I've ever had. £54, which was the price of the MOT, which it passed, of course, as you can well imagine. Uh, But it has to go back in. I I want some other little bits and pieces doing to it, so I've got that to sort out. And then yesterday, and I only offer this as advice, I mean, it's probably my... I mean, I don't know how Oyster cards work. I've never quite fathomed out Oyster cards. I just know that every so often at Waterloo Station, I put it on the machine, and it says top up, and I keep it topped up, so I've always got... 70 to 90 pounds on the Oyster card. I never let it drop to that. I've seen people get on the bus, it goes beep, beep, beep. You think, oh. so they turn it sideways, beep, beep. No, you've got no credit on it. You've got no credit on it. Thought the other day I was watching, he's uh, moved away already. Um, and it was one of these police camera action things. And I always find them fascinating because whenever the police stop people, they're always so dumb. And this particular bloke, he was, he was a chav. His wife, I promise you, had a bottom. How it got inside the car, I'll never know. Anyway, they pull him up. Because the car is showing as no insurance. So they pull him. They pull him up in front of a little shop thing. And uh, out he gets. Ace chav. You know, or mate, or, or like that, geezer. Kind of thing. And he's wearing a tracksuit. And he's got his little baseball cap on. But he's probably about, because he obviously smokes and he drinks. You can tell this. I mean, this is just, you know, he's, he's not going to be on LucasAid. Uh, he's he's ageing rapidly. So, in fact, he could actually be, you know, about 23, 24. But he looks about 40. So he gets out of the car, and he's quite a tall bloke, and the heifer-lump gets herself out of the car, and they stand there, and the policeman goes, um, you know, your, your car's showing us no insurance. Do you have any insurance? Yeah, uh, yeah, I did it the other day. Perhaps it's just not, not filtered through. I mean, quite clearly, these people are so stupid. Because your insurance is instant. You don't have to wait for it to appear. The moment you've paid for it, they, they click a button, you're on the computer. So you know that when they go, yeah, perhaps it's just taking time to go through, but I, I did pay it. Well, who, who did you pay it to? can't remember the company. He's having complete memory loss on everything. He can't remember when he actually bought it. He can't remember which company did it through. And then, of course, the, uh, the police officer goes, and um, you don't have a driving licence. And he goes, um, yeah, I do. And they go, no, you don't have a valid driving licence. So, anyway, to cut a long story short, the policeman, because the bloke starts swearing, and he starts doing, you know, well, I'll t-, he said, I'm going to seize your car. 
He said, when you come back with valid insurance, you can take the car. If you don't come back with valid insurance within this period of time, the car will be crushed, OK? Because it will... I mean, or failing that, you can hand it over to me now. And we could take it away and crush it. But I'm seizing it until you get the insurance. So the bloke starts effing and blinding. Now, up until that moment, he'd said to him, look, I've got all my tools in the back of the car. I'm assuming for breaking and entering. I didn't think it was actually anything to be building or stuff like that. And so he said, well, I'll tell you what. He said, um, we'll let you drive the car back to your house and we'll seize it from there. Anyway, the bloke starts effing and blinding. So he says, do you know, he said, I tell you, I've given you the opportunity. He said, now, he said, you can take your stuff out of the boot of the car and you can walk down the road with it. He said, or you can leave it in there and it'll be part of the impound. OK, entirely up to you. So clever clogs, who thinks he's really clever in the police. He then starts going, I've seen you before, mate. You've actually picked on me before. And the police officer goes, I have no idea who you are. He said, I think you're mistaken. It's funny because he remembers the police officer he thinks he's seen before. And, and then he can't remember out the insurance on the car because, of course, he doesn't have any insurance. Meanwhile, Heffalump has said nothing. She'll do, Mmm. She's a bit Neanderthal. She just grunts a little bit. So in the end, the police just seize the car. And he's left sitting there by the side of a Tesco metro <laughs> with his little bag of tools and a carburettor. It was quite funny, actually. I did smile to myself secretly because I like things like that. Anyway, so yesterday... So I leave here yesterday because, as you know, we had a, a problem with the computers... And it, uh, it not doing what we wanted it to do for the free podcast. It was just playing, playing silly beggars. And it, and it got to that time where we were trying to sort something. The studio then started collapsing around our ears. So we, we sort of, we gave it up as a bad job. And so we left that. So when I left here, I was later than I would have been had I usually left here, had I done the pod. It's all very confusing. Follow this, you know, if you can. And so I leave here. And as I'm going down, and I can, for the two days now, I've forgotten to look at Blooming Nelson. I shall have to do that this morning. At the top of the uh, tall thing. And um, so as I get halfway down St Martin in the Fields, the 176 goes past. And as I get to the corner, the 139 sails through. So I'm now two buses down. And I could probably get other buses, but I only know those two. I don't know anything else. So I thought, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll walk to the embankment. I'll be a good boy. I could walk to the embankment. So I go down to the embankment tube, thinking it's only one stop. Embankment, Waterloo. I think it goes to Kennington. So I, I do that. And so I go down onto the station, and it's not as busy as it normally is. Anyway, put, put my little Oyster card on the thing, and I go through the barrier, and I go to where I go down to get the train to go to Waterloo, and it's all boarded off. You can't... I can't get through it. So I'm, I think, oh. The only two lines that appear to be open, the one going to Ealing Broadway and the one going to Richmond downstairs, but I'm, I'm going the other way. So I then come out, and another way I was going to get... That's also boarded off. So I then say, say to the guys, I said, how do I get to Waterloo? He said, oh, you've got to go... Up the hill to Charing Cross. I thought I'd just walk down the blooming hill. I'm not going to walk back up the hill to Charing Cross Station. He said, go in there and you take the train, blah, blah, blah. And, so and I'm thinking, oh, God. So I swipe out again. And I'm thinking, in the back of my mind, I've swiped in and swiped out. Quite clearly, the card will know I've not been anywhere. No, it doesn't quite work like that. So when I get back to Twickenham Station, I explain to Brian about uh, the card and the thing I'd done. He said, well, let's have a look. And so he, he put it on his little machine. He said, you've been charged £7.20. I said, but I haven't been anywhere. He said, I know. He said, but what it does is when you swipe in, it charges you the maximum amount. Then when you swipe out, it charges you, it then knocks off that amount. So unfortunately, it's charged you the full amount because you've come out of the same station. So anyway, what I've got to do is go back to a tube line, tube station, and say to them, listen, this is what I did on Thursday. I'm terribly sorry, but nobody told me the blooming trains to Waterloo were cancelled. Um, and so they can then credit me back with my £7.20. 
But I wonder how many people do that and think that when you walk back out again with the card and you and you hit it, it knows that you've not actually been on a journey because it's only taken you two minutes. And, you know, it's just not physically possible to go anywhere in two minutes. So hopefully we get that one sorted out at some point today. Roger Lloyd Pack died the other day. And Joe and uh, sorry, and uh, Joe Allen's pianist, Jimmy. Now, for as long as I can remember, as long as I've been eating in Joe Allen's, Jimmy has been a fixture. You go down the stairs, the maitre d's at the bottom of the stairs behind a sort of a, a lectern desk, and then the piano with Jimmy playing it. And for the past, I've been going there, what, 32 years. Th- it doesn't seem possible, actually, 32 years, but 32 years I have been going man and boy. And Jimmy has always played. And he was a listener to this programme. Uh, but every celebrity who was in town... No matter where they were playing, if they were a big American celebrity, they went to Joe Allen's. It is still, you know, the celebrity restaurant. You get other restaurants that have got, you know, people like Saatchi and things like that, but they're not celebrities. They're sort of different, different sort of people. Proper celebs, you know, people you identify go to Joe Allen's or they go to the Ivy. You know, that's it. There might be some other places that I'm not aware of, but the majority of people go to Joe Allen's. So everybody would walk in and as you walked around, you would walk past the back of Jimmy and you would always say, evening, Jimmy. And he'd go, oh, hello, Steve. Listen to you this morning. And he'd say things like this, and he would play show tunes. If somebody came in who was appearing in a musical, he would play songs from the musical. You know, he would play the happy birthdays and everything else. And he was a fixture. You could always spot him because he had his cigarette on. He would have his dinner at the bar, and then he would sit down and he would happily play. I mean, you know, if you enjoy playing the piano and you're, and you're good at playing the piano, that's what he did. So he sort of recognised various celebrities who would play the theme tune to their programme or something like that. So for 35 years, he was there. Now, the one thing Jimmy liked is his holidays in Gran Canaria. He enjoyed going to Gran Canaria to meet meet people. He was very good at that. He was uh, he, he was he was just somebody who kind of lived life. He sat there with his cigarettes and he he went wandering and he bumped into people and he made new acquaintances. But everybody knew him as Jimmy, who played the piano at Joe Allen's. And as I put on my tweet yesterday, when the stars were in town, they said hello to him because he was always because he knew everything about them and he would turn round on his seat. And he would say, you know, nice to see you back in town. You know, if it was Angela Lansbury, doesn't matter who it was, he would always say hello because everybody knew who he was. And sadly, yesterday, he lost his, uh, his battle. He was getting on it. We think he was in his 70s, but to be honest with you, with Jimmy, he, he could have been 32. You'd have no idea. But he was just part of, of London's scene and just somebody who, if you'd eaten in Joe Allen's for any length of time, you would know that he was in there. Everybody used to stop by and say hi to him. And he always had his cigarette going in the ashtray in the days when you could smoke. Ah, happy days. Happy days. Um, and uh, what was this a, a thing of? It's, um, oh, it's, a, it's, a, it's called Caught in the Act. It's a betting racket. Racket as in tennis racket. And it's uh, Daniel Dobson, who's appeared in court, charged over a betting scam that cashes in the time lag between a sport and its live TV coverage. Now, I don't know if you ever saw the film The Sting. Did you ever see the film The Sting? What they were doing in The Sting with Robert Redford and the other one is they were betting on horse races that had already been won. So they knew the answer. The person who was doing the ticker tape was holding the results up. Because in the early days, they would say, they would have, have the race and they would have it. There were no, no pictures, quite clearly. But they would have saying, oh, and then the results would, would come through on a ticker tape. But they were held up. And they hit on this scam of trying to take somebody to prove their system worked. And the whole idea of the sting was that they suckered somebody in and said, listen, try it. What, what our man does is he holds the race up for 30 seconds. You get your bet on and, and then you, you clean up. So he says, OK. So they do a test bet. He said, just, just give us a dollar. 
I'll prove it. Dollar, put it on this horse. He said, somebody will say, you know, put it on whatever it is. Whatever it is. So he put it on and it won. She tries it the next day and it works again. Bearing in mind, they're suckering him into a sting. They're suckering him into a sting. On the third day, he goes, right, I'm going to put a whole lot on now. And of course, they're not prepared for that because they don't want him to win a whole lot of money because they haven't taken a whole lot of money in. So what they do is they sort of give him the horse and just he goes to the window, the thing comes down and they stop and they say, sorry, all bets uh, now, you, you can't bet after that. Once the race has started, you can't bet. And he goes, well, I was here in... T- no, 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 no. So he goes back and he says, I couldn't get the bet on. They, they close the window. They say, don't, don't worry. Don't worry. Let's see if it wins. Of course, it wins and he would have won thousands of dollars. But that's enough to tempt him and to sucker him into the fact that they can now go for the big sting. So I think he goes for something like... $10,000, which in those days was a sheer fortune. And so they say to him, right, OK, here is the thing coming through. Place it on red nose at 16 to 1. So he goes there, he goes, $10,000 to win red nose. And so they give him the betting slip and he goes away. And uh, he goes back to the guy and he says, I've put the $10,000 to win. He said, what do you mean to win? He said, we told you place, place. The horse is going to come in third, place. And he goes into a panic and he goes rushing back to the window and he goes, you've given me the wrong slip. You've given me the wrong... And they go, no, no, we haven't given you the wrong slip. You said to win. No, 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 I said place. I said, no, he said, you said to win. So, of course, he lost the money. And at that moment, the fake police come in, do the raid. They bundle him out as quick as possible, but they've walked off with the money. That was the sting. The whole thing about it was that you played on somebody's greed. And the greed is... That, you know, if something sounds too... If I, if I go to, to James tomorrow and I go, listen, I've got this sure... Well, it doesn't have to be James. It could be anybody else. If, if I say, listen, I've got this surefire thing. A friend of mine works in the city and he can, through changing your money into different currencies, we can, we can guarantee you that we can double your money overnight. Give me, give me 20 quid. He gives me 20 quid. Next day I just sit there. I don't do anything at all. And I give him 40 quid the next day. And I go, see, it worked. And he goes, Pfft. I say, listen, you can double it. Give me 50, and you get 100. So he gives me 50. He's now getting into the power. I'm now suckering him in. I'm now reeling him in slowly. So he's given me 50. Next day, I give him 100. He's thinking, this is a good one. He's now thinking, blimey, if I give him 1,000, I get 2,000. And that's what happens. People go for the greed. There was a golf club that got caught. A bloke who joins as a member and starts saying, I can do this, I can do this for you. And in the end, all the members clubbed together and got £100,000, thinking it was going to be doubled to 200000 Of course, the 100000 came in, and the bloke disappeared. It's clever, isn't it? I might even pop off and watch that in a few hours' time. Well, those were my best bits from the week. I'll be back tomorrow morning live at four, so I look forward to talking to you then. Don't forget, you can download all the podcasts from the LBC website. Go to lbc.co.uk. You can always follow me on Twitter, at Steve Allen Show. Coming up next, in conversation this week, Griff Rees-Jones and Mark Foster. So make sure you stay tuned for that. But now, the latest news at six.